Please turn with me to John chapter 14. We'll be looking at several passages in John chapter 14 through 16 this morning. Uh, But as I begin, I was going to ask a question. Um, Are you familiar with the concept of uh, separation anxiety? Students, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just walk down the nursery hallway, right, a little bit early, and you'll see parents uh, trying to, they'll create a distraction, they'll hand off their child and then run. And, you know, if they're really successful, they make it all the way in here and their number doesn't show up on one of those little screens, right? But if they're not successful, the uh, child turns around and, ah, you know, screams uh, in, in great fear. I remember uh, when our kids were little on those rare occasions that we could get away for a day or two. When we'd come back, our kids initially, they were like super excited to see us. And then all of a sudden they realized that we'd been gone, right? So it was like just in a moment of time, it was like, ah, wait, if I'm excited to see you, that means that you left, you, you abandoned me, right? And so it would turn from this joy to anger. It was just this really strange, bizarre mixture of emotions that you see just pass across their face really, really quickly. Uh, did you know that, that pets can actually experience uh, separation anxiety as well? Yeah, there, it's true. There, there's an entire industry that creates uh, products so that your pet does not uh, experience anxiety. And I don't, I don't know, did I... Did I Leave those, uh, those pictures in here. Let me see. No, I didn't put them in. Sorry. Well, I'll, so I'll just have to describe this. Um, I found a website that had a list of like the top nine products so that your pet doesn't experience anxiety. My, my favorites, there were a couple of my favorites. One was uh, a pillow that the owner sleeps on so that the scent is transferred. And then you give that to your pet when you're gone so your pet has your scent right there. Another was uh, Pet Tunes. There's a little box, a little Bluetooth box. It's got pre-recorded uh, music for pets. It's just at the right decibel level, right, everything right, so your pet is comforted. And the songs are played by a professional cellist. So I thought, okay, so, you know, Juilliard didn't work out, so, you know, you're playing, playing pet tunes. <laughs> and it was funny because as I read through, I looked at all nine of them at the bottom, you know, there's always like a comment or question section, right? And there was only one comment at the bottom, and that was, uh, well, what about, what about cats? who experience anxiety. And of course, I thought to myself, cats have no positive emotions, right? The only emotion cats have is, it's like condescension toward their owner, right? That's all, they don't feel love. They don't give love, right? That's just condescension. So, you know, I saw that and I thought, do you want to hear the latest in our, our cat story, right? Yeah. So uh, this week, Anna Joy's free cat cost me $200, because she was in the garage and somehow she got a fish hook in the back of her leg, right? I mean, yeah, it was just terrible. <laughs> so I, I took, Tris made an appointment, I took her in to the, to the vet and um, I said, yeah, we got the, got the fish hook out and, you know, I didn't know how much this was going to cost me, right? So as I was walking out, I turned to Trissy and Anna Joy and I said, you tell me, what's the threshold at which I just walk away. <laughs> I know I'm a, I'm a monster. I'm just a horrible, horrible person, right? So I went in and I ransomed my cat for uh, $200. Um, you know, but cats, don't, they don't have feelings. She wasn't grateful at all. <clears throat> I was thinking to myself, I'd love for her to experience a long separation anxiety <laughs> from me at this moment. But I didn't. I, I brought the cat back, right? So even cats, people, cats, we experience separation anxiety. Uh, but as we get older, we outgrow that, mostly. 
right, mostly. We, we still want to know that we're not alone in the world. We need to know that we're not alone in the world. This morning we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of John. It's near the end of Jesus' life where the disciples experience separation anxiety. Jesus says, I'm going to leave and you can't come. And they're like the toddler at the door. Reaching out, clinging to Jesus. Don't leave us. Don't leave us alone. I want you to read with me. Chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 1. Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 13 marks the beginning of a series of really emotional conversations. Jesus shares his final meal with his disciples. He tells them it's a final meal. It's a final opportunity before they're in the kingdom for him to share this meal with them. And at the end of the meal, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their feet. It's a a really uncomfortable moment for all of them. And then he says, I want you to serve one another as I have served you. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to serve one another. And then Jesus says something startling. He says, but you also need to know this. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to turn me over. They're like, oh, no, it's not not me. Is it, Lord? It's not me. It's not me. And there's this this incredible tension that they all feel. They're denying that, that they would be the one that would turn the Lord over. And he said, no, one of you will deny me. You need to know something. I'm going away, and you can't come with me. You'll follow later, but you can't come right now. And Peter, in very typical fashion, he says, no, I am coming, and I'm coming right now. And Jesus says, no, you can't come. He says, I don't care what the rest of them do, and they may deny you, but I won't deny you. I will come with you. I will even lay down my life for you, Lord. And he said, Peter, you want to know the truth? Before the rooster crows three times tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And then Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. To be troubled means to be stirred up, to be shaken up, to be unsettled. And the verb tense indicates that they are, in fact, stirred up and unsettled. Their world has been turned upside down. Jesus has said, I'm leaving and you can't come. And they feel like they're going to be abandoned and they're afraid. They don't want to be lonely. Of course, they still have one another, right? And they still have family and they still have friends. But Jesus has been their anchor for the last three years and they are afraid of being left alone. You know, according to some healthcare uh, specialists, loneliness is actually the number one healthcare uh, crisis in the U.S. right now. I read an article this last week from Psychology Today. It was uh, written this summer. And it indicated that in the last 50 years, rates of reported loneliness have doubled. 50% of Americans report feeling alone, left out, or isolated. 50%. Feel alone. So it affects uh, not just emotional and mental health, job performance, but even physical health. Listen to this. Persistent loneliness reduces average longevity more than twice as much as does heavy drinking and more than three times as much as obesity. Did you catch that? Persistent loneliness reduces your age 
Okay, longevity, more than twice as much as does heavy drinking and more than three times as much as does obesity. Research demonstrates that, demonstrates that loneliness is as physically dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and contribute, contributes to cognitive decline, including more rapid advance of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, loneliness uh, kills. And ironically, the people who are more connected to their phones report that they're more, more lonely. Right, So you can have thousands of digital friends and feel completely and utterly alone in the world. You can be in a room full of people and feel completely alone and isolated. And you may have walked in here and there are 500 people sitting here and you feel completely and utterly alone. Because we need to be deeply and safely connected with others and so many of us don't feel like that. And that's how the disciples feel right now. They've got one another. They've got family and friends. But they really feel like Jesus is the anchor. He says that I'm leaving. And, and they're, they're panicked. Because that's where their deepest connection is. And Jesus says, I will not leave you alone. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I will not leave you alone. Look at verse 16 of chapter 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him or see him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. He will be with you and he will be in you forever. Notice what Jesus says here. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Right? That word for uh, another in Greek is another of the same kind. And he will be with you and he will be in you forever. Now, if you've read through the New Testament and you're kind of familiar with uh, New Testament theology, that doesn't sound so shocking or dramatic. But remember, the disciples are essentially living in the Old Testament era. Now, this is before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so their understanding of the Holy Spirit is Old Testament. It's Old Covenant. And under the Old Covenant, the Spirit would occasionally come upon a person for some special moment or event or act of service, and then the Spirit would leave, right? So even David would pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit would come on David for a battle or for a moment of wisdom that he needed, and then the Spirit would depart, or the Spirit would come upon the prophets and they would prophesy for a moment, and then the Spirit would leave. But the Spirit didn't abide on people or in people permanently. The Spirit, in fact, we're told, uh, dwelt in Jerusalem in the temple, right? In the Holy of Holies. So if you wanted to be near God, you had to get on your donkey and ride, right? That's where the Spirit of God is residing. And now Jesus says, no, this, this will be new because the Spirit of God will be with you. He will be in you and he will be there forever. But that's, a, that's a new covenant promise. I want you to turn to John chapter 7 and verse 37. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this Jesus spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so when did the Spirit come? When Jesus was glorified and on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his Spirit upon people. But right now he's saying you will receive the Spirit, but you haven't yet received the Spirit. But when the Spirit comes, he will be with you and he will be in you forever. And so now where does the Spirit reside? He resides in us. So Paul will say, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of God. 
When Jesus was speaking with the Samaritan woman, she said, well, you say we should worship in Jerusalem. We say we should worship here on Mount Gerizim. Which is it? And Jesus says, well, a day's coming when it really, that will be completely irrelevant. Because you will be the portable temple of God. You will carry the very spirit of God everywhere you go. And you will never be abandoned. And you will never be forsaken. Read with me again chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. Uh, The word uh, translated here, helper, helper just sounds so innocuous to me, right? Um, It's not really a powerful word. It's the Greek word uh, paraclete or parakletos. It means one who's called alongside to render aid. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you one who's called alongside to render aid in your need, particularly in this moment when your hearts are troubled and upset and turned upside down. That is the Spirit who is truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him or does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's Jesus saying? Saying, I'm, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you in the form of the Spirit. Right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. I'm going to send you another helper, a helper of the same kind, that is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit who is from Christ or of Christ, will minister the presence of Christ on his behalf. Why? Because Jesus personally can't be with every single one of them. But this is a really important trin- uh, Trinitarian truth. I want you to turn to John chapter 16 and verse 5. John 16, verse 5. This whole section here from 13 to 17 is called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus is teaching them and then he prays for them. In chapter 16, verse 5, he says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is actually to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In the Incarnation... Jesus took on flesh and blood. And because he took on flesh and blood, he experienced uh, fatigue right, and, and hunger. He probably got a virus now and then. His feet got sore. And he took on all the limitations of humanity. And as best that we can tell, uh, Jesus will hold on to those limitations of humanity forever. When we see the glorified Jesus, we'll also still see the scars from his sacrifice that he made on our behalf. So the Son of God, and I I can't tell you how this works, but the eternal, unlimited Son of God took on the boundaries and the limitations of human form. God in human form. But what that means for him is that he, Jesus, personally, right, the second member of the Trinity, can't personally be in every place at every time, except for the fact that he can send his Spirit to minister his presence everywhere at all times. And so he says, I'm going to send you another helper. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you through the Spirit who is unbounded, right? The Spirit is boundless. Mark your place here in John chapter 14 and turn to Psalm 139 and verse 7. Where can I go from your Spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, 
Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even darkness is not dark to you, and night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Do you see what he's saying? Look, I can go into heaven or I can go down to Sheol. (laughs) I can go up or I can go down. I can take the, the wings of the dawn. The sun rises in the east and the sea is in the west from the perspective of Jerusalem. I can go high or low. I can go east, west. I can go dark or light. I cannot escape because your spirit is present everywhere. And now Jesus says the spirit will be present in you and with you forever. You are not alone. Turn back to John chapter 14. Have any of you ever felt genuinely alone? I mean, if the the data is right that I just read, there's probably at least a few of you who felt alone. Because our family moved around a lot, I knew that feeling, right? I, I walked into a lot of cafeterias knowing no one at school. I knew a lot of classrooms knowing no one. I, I, I know what that, that feeling is like. And you know, at some level, uh, that, that feeling never leaves, even as you get older. Um, I took a job in Prague, as some of you know. I was 28 years old. I finished seminary. I went there knowing no one. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the language. I was uh, given an apartment to live in by myself. And even now, I, I look back at this, and it so- sounds unimaginable to me, but there were no, I didn't have a cell phone. Right now, I can't even imagine. Like Now, if I don't, I was out having lunch with my son, and I thought I'd left my cell phone somewhere, and I did, ah, you know, that panic. I'm, you know, I just can't even imagine not. But they were still building the infrastructure for, for cell phones. So um, I could get on the Internet with a dial-up modem, some of you remember, beep, 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 you know, and it would work sometimes and not others. But here was the trick for me. I live in an apartment complex with, uh, it was a party line. There were 10 apartments. So I shared a party line with nine other apartments using dial-up. No Skype, no FaceTime, really no internet. I was lucky if I could just download the emails. I felt really, really, really isolated. And it was then in that moment that I, I really learned, just through the course of six months, to let the, the Spirit be present with me. And that I wasn't actually alone. And I learned in time, I really, I really enjoyed that time. So much time that was, well, it was me and the Lord. It felt very frightening at first. And I had to learn to let the Spirit be present with me. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never be alone because my spirit will always be with you. Uh, Paraclete, sometimes translated helper, just kind of a weak word. The other word is translated as comforter, which to me is another weak word. I just think of a thick blanket, right? But you know the word comforter? Uh, literally, it comes from Latin to be, to be with strength, right? Or to be strengthened Together, it's fortis, fortified with, together with. The Spirit strengthens you. How? Because the Spirit reminds you continuously that you are known and loved. That the Spirit knows everything about you. The Spirit searches the depths of your heart, every thought, every imagination, everything, and still loves you. And still accepts you and doesn't abandon you, even knowing everything about you. The Spirit brings comfort. The Spirit brings strength because the Spirit loves you and cares for you. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I will come home at night and uh, Trish will say, hey, let's dance. 
All right, let's dance. And uh, she put on some songs she wants to dance to, and we'll just dance in the kitchen a little bit. Uh, really, she dances, and usually I just go like this, because she's kind of a dancer. Um, but one of the songs she played for me a couple years ago was by uh, Sarah Bareilles. It's called You Matter to Me. Or you Ma- I won't sing it. You Matter to Me. It's a, it's a really beautiful chorus. And I've learned that um, you know if I just start playing that song as we're driving around, or I just even say that phrase to her, it just... Whoo, romance just warms in her heart because she needs to hear that you matter to me you're important to me we need to hear that you know you matter to the lord listen listen to these verses from uh, romans chapter 8 it says in the same way the spirit also helps our weaknesses because he's he's our helper he's our fortification for we do not even know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words isn't that beautiful What that means is this, is the Father, Son, and Spirit are having a conversation about you right now. And the Spirit longs for you to be strengthened and encouraged and not feel alone so deeply that that the Spirit is groaning. The Spirit is agonizing. How can the Spirit do that? Well, because the Spirit isn't an impersonal force, but a person, right? Star Wars doesn't have it right. It's not like there's this force that invades the universe and can be used for good or evil. No, the, the Spirit is a person. And he is the person who knows how to love better than any person has ever known how to love. Because Father, Son, and Spirit for eternity have been enjoying love with one another. And now they they pour out that love upon you and will never abandon you. You can never be separated from that love. In fact, you are the point of conversation continuously before the Lord. And what the Spirit does is He takes you the moment that you believe and He puts you into Christ and He puts Christ into you. You're united with Christ. But you're also placed within what's called the body of Christ. Right? That's the Spirit's job. To unite you with one another. And so one of the primary ways that the Spirit fortifies you, strengthens you, and comforts you now is through the body of Christ. Right? We need to know that God will never leave us or forsake us, but we need to be connected with people. We need to be connected with people. It is not enough for your spiritual life for you to just show up on a Sunday and then go live your life completely separated from the body of Christ. You will not survive. You, in times of, when times of trouble come, you will not know as deeply as you could the comforting power of the Holy Spirit. So when I got to Prague, and I was initially alone, but then God pulled me into the body of Christ, this church that I was working with, and in a really short time, because so many of these people had been plucked out of their own nations and dropped into this city, we developed incredibly deep bonds that even exist to this day. So that when we're struggling and suffering, you can call one another, or people will drive to the house or take care of me. You know, we've had a crazy year and we have experienced the love of the body of Christ and the, the comfort of the spirit through the body of Christ in ways we've never known in our entire lives before ever and you need that and I know as you know when you get out of college uh, for those of you who are out and you're working it's harder and harder because you have less time free time to build those relationships but let me encourage you you have to have those God did not design you and equip you to function well and in a healthy manner isolated from other believers. And so the first thing that Jesus promises is this. The Spirit will comfort us in our loneliness. Second, he will clarify our confusion in life. Chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus says, uh, the Helper, when he comes, he's going to remind you everything that I taught. And so we don't have time to review all four Gospels, everything that Jesus taught. So what's the essence of the teaching of Jesus? It's the revelation of the Father. And what Jesus came to do is he came to make the Father known, as the Father truly is. Look at chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us in our anxiety and our trouble. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because everything I've been doing for you is to reveal to you the Father. Probably familiar with that A.W. Tozer quote. He said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is absolutely the most important thing about us. Do we have a right conception of who God is? Because if we don't have a right conception of who God is, we can't know who we are. Because our identity is derivative from God. And so Jesus presents God, his Father, as Father. right, As as intimate but also in control. As powerful and yet compassionate. As the creator and sovereign of all things and yet intimately involved in our lives. And so he has the authority to give us our identity. Right in the garden, who named Adam? God. God assigned identity to Adam. And we derive our identity from God. Look at chapter 14, verse 19. He says, After a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That is, you can't know who you are if you don't know who you are in relationship to God. There's an epidemic of loneliness in our country. I would say there's also an enormous identity crisis. People don't know who they are, and they they can't grasp an identity. And so they're, they're, they're scrambling to assign identity to themselves. But we don't have that authority. We don't have the authority to assign identity to ourselves. That's why there's so much gender confusion right now, right? That's really ultimately not simply just a moral issue. It's a theological issue. As a culture moves more and more and more away from being grounded in our identity in God and understanding who he is, then we can't understand who we are ourselves. And so we can scramble around to try to self-assign identity, but it it won't fit. It won't fit because we don't have that power. We don't have that authority. And so there's an identity crisis as well as a loneliness epidemic running through the world. So who are we? Romans chapter 8, let's go back there again. Paul says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery. Your identity is not slaves any longer, leading to fear and anxiety, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Who are you? Well, you don't know unless you know your identity relative to God, who is Abba, Father. He's he's Daddy. But he is the one who loves you and the one who has authority over your life. And so you're not a slave any longer. The moment you believe in Jesus, you're rescued out of darkness, out of sin, out of death, 
out of a family that is alienated from God and into the very family of God and his intimacy and love forever. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit, belonging to God. So what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit continuously speaks this truth into your heart and mind every time you pick up the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, there are hidden things that God has prepared for those who love him. And you know how they experience those? This is through the illuminating power of the Spirit, through the Word of God. The natural man, the one who doesn't know God, can't understand, can't, can't receive these things, but you have not received a spirit of darkness. You've received, received a spirit of light. So you, you, you open the Word of God and you're reminded who God is and you're reminded who you are and there's an anchor for your soul again. So let me encourage you, just as you cannot live the Christian life effectively and well, isolated from the body of Christ, nor can you live it on a secondhand diet of the Word of God. Right? Coming in here and being isolated from the body and walking out, that won't work. Coming in here and just hearing what someone else has been thinking about in the Word and then walking out and not being deeply in the Word yourself, that you won't experience the power of the Spirit bringing clarity to your life. Right? You have to be personally deeply engaged in memorization and meditation and study of the Word of God. That is described as a spiritual discipline, which essentially just means this. You're giving the Spirit of God access to your heart and mind. Right? The world is constantly bombarding you with falsehood. And then you pick up the Word and you're reoriented to truth. Right? And you, you need this deeply. Or the, the Spirit of the world will, will deceive you into thinking things that are untrue of God and untrue of yourself. But the Spirit who abides in you is constantly speaking truth, bringing clarity to our confusion. And third, courage for our calling. John chapter 16. Let's read again in verse 5. Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So church, what's our calling? We've been talking about this a lot the last two years. Our calling in simple terms is we help people find and follow Jesus, right? We, we introduce people to Jesus through our words and through our deeds. And what we have to remember is that the Spirit is already at work doing this. The, the, the Spirit is uh, knocking down the barriers. The Spirit is opening up opportunities. The Spirit is at work constantly. And so Paul says, or John says, Jesus says this first. Somebody says this. The Spirit is convicting, Right? When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit will bring conviction. We don't, we don't have to. Right? We speak truth and we live truth, but it's the Spirit who brings conviction that something's broken or wrong. Did anybody in here have uh, sons? Any sons in your family? Okay. Uh, when they hit about 12 or 13, uh, something happens. Right? There's a medical term for it, a biological term, is called stink. But they just start to stink. They smell, right? 12, 13-year-old boys, they just start to, to smell. And, you know, parents, we walk in their room like, whoa, what is that? Well, it's boy, right? It's just, that's what it is. And, you know, hey, you know, you got, you got to take a shower. Well, why? I'm not dirty. 
you stink. I don't stink. Well, take a shower anyway. And then, and then take this stick and wipe it under your arms, right? Because you stink. I don't stink. I smell fine. And you're like, no, you don't. You, you, you stink. You don't smell good, right? That's conviction. There's something you don't see and you don't smell that I do. And so I'm going to speak truth into your life. You got to clean this thing up, right? This is the spirit of God comes into your life and my life and says, something stinks. And you don't see it and you don't smell it, but it's got to be dealt with. Right? All the people who, who are around you who don't know Jesus, the Spirit of God is working to say something's broken. Because the Spirit longs for them to be in the family of God, even more than you and I do. Right? So the Spirit is at work convicting. The Spirit is at work testifying to the truth. Look at John chapter 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. Right In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says you have uh, one big mission, and what is that? Bear witness, right? Testify. But then Jesus says, oh, but you need to know this. The Spirit's already testifying. So all that you're doing is you're following along behind the work of what the Spirit is doing in bearing witness to who Jesus is and the resurrection. Right? The Spirit's at, Spirit's at work convicting. The Spirit is at work testifying. The Spirit is at work regenerating. Turn to John chapter 3. And verse 5. John chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this is really confusing to Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus is not talking about uh, water baptism. What he's talking about is uh, two images of the Holy Spirit. He says, unless one is born literally of water and wind, or breath. The word spirit, pneuma, in both Greek and Hebrew can also be translated breath or wind or spirit. And so water and wind are, are, are both images of the Holy Spirit. The Lord says, in, in the latter days I will pour out streams or rivers of water in the desert. That is, the, that is an image of the Spirit who will give life to what was dead. He will bring it to life. Or in Ezekiel 37, he says, I will breathe across these dead bones, and the dead bones will be reunited, and they will come to life, right? That is, the Spirit of God will reanimate them. That's regeneration, okay, being brought to life. So we're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're born dead, which means not non-existent, right? But we're born separated. Death means separation, because our spirit is separated from the Spirit of God. That's what death is. The moment that Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they left the garden physically, their spirit was no longer united with the Spirit of God. That's death. And so every single one of us is born into that condition of separation. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God reunites His Spirit with our spirit. That's regeneration. That's spiritual life. And having been reanimated... Right? The, the, the water of life that Jesus pours out, the breath of life that Jesus pours out, having once and for all been regenerated, we can never die again. We belong to God forever. We're in his family forever, and we're alive forever, so we possess eternal life, right? enduring life that lasts forever. This is the work of the Spirit of God. Third, or fourth rather, the Spirit is at work transforming us. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. In verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the principle or the law of the spirit of life that's found in Christ Jesus has set you free from the principle or the law of sin and of death. For what the law, that is the law of Moses, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's saying what you had before under the old covenant was a list of rules and regulations that you really ultimately couldn't measure up to. And in fact, sometimes Paul will say in Romans 7, they actually provoked me to do more. So I'm like, oh, don't lust. Oh, gosh, I don't covet. You know, and, and things awaken in my heart that are actually evil as a result of this good thing that's called the law. It says the law can't bring life. So God put his spirit inside of you and changes both your desires and your ability to do what's true and honorable and right and life-giving. That's the work of the Spirit. So Paul will say in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you, both to desire and to do His good pleasure. The Spirit is at work transforming our lives. Our job is to make ourselves accessible to the Spirit of God. Again, That's the point of these things that we call spiritual disciplines. They don't make us uh, more acceptable to the Lord. They don't make him love us more. They just open up our hearts and our minds so that the Spirit of God can speak truth and transform us. As we develop uh, new habits and we develop new new relationships and associations, we develop new passions in our lives because we're allowing the Spirit access to us. And then fifth, the Spirit is empowering Jesus said to his disciples, right after he'd been raised, during that 40 days, he said, I want you to wait, don't do anything, because you're not ready. So I want you to go to to Jerusalem, I just want you to wait until I send power. I'm going to send the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to do things that you you can't even imagine. You who, uh, 11, who had, you all betrayed me, you all ran away, you all were fearful, you all were in hiding. Uh, you didn't want to speak up for me. You denied me, Peter. You denied me, but the others denied me too. And, and, and now what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you, have you stand up in front of, of all of your peers and all of the nation, and you're going to bear witness to the resurrection. But, but relax. You're not ready for it just yet. But when the Spirit comes upon you, you won't be able to stop. So Paul says, uh, be filled with the Spirit. That is an imperative, but it's passive tense is let the spirit be in control of your life as you say yes to the spirit you you relinquish control of your life and you step into sometimes even these scary spaces knowing that you're not alone because the spirit of god is in you and then in those moments where you've stepped into that scary space you've had to rely upon the strength and the comfort and the power of the spirit he does things through you that you couldn't even imagine before because you've given control over to the spirit of god now, uh, we're going to uh, take communion here in just a few minutes. Before we do that, I've asked a, a friend of mine, a young friend of mine is going to come up, and she's going to share her testimony. She's going to tell you some of her story. Uh, I heard her story last semester because uh, Hattie Munoz, Hattie, come up. Hattie and uh, her, a bunch of her friends, they all got together, and they invited all of their peers to come to an event, and uh, several of them shared their stories about their relationships 
with the Lord. And it was super bold, super courageous, and uh, Hattie had just crushed it. And I, as soon as I heard her, I thought, you know, some Sunday I've got to get Hattie up to tell her story. Is when they organized, they they did everything. They organized the entire event, and they had 350 high school kids from around Brazos County came. And so she stood up in front of 350 of her peers and told her story. And I thought, hey, Hattie, why don't you do that again? Come on. Okay. <laughs> okay, so good morning. Um, my name is Hattie. Um, I'm a junior at A&M Consolidated High School, which is super fun. Um, so m- many of you may know the How to Life that he was talking about um, with a staff of 50. We reached 350 students from around the community, which is so, so cool. Um, but now, How to Life is now Jen now with this snaggy shirt, you know. Um, and it's so, so cool because this Saturday, um, April 13th, we're having another outreach event um, right here at the Anderson campus, which is so, so exciting. Um, so, yeah, I was able to share my story and my testimony at How to Life, um, our last outreach event. And so when Pastor Ryan asked me to come share with you all, I was all for it. Um, so, many of you may know my parents. My parents were missionaries supported by this church, um, and they were in Papua New Guinea. So, I grew up in Papua New Guinea. I lived there from age three until I was 12 years old. Um, so, everything I knew was there. Everyone I loved, um, my home was in Papua New Guinea. Um, but then at age 13, my family decided to move to the U.S. As a 13-year-old girl, I remember being so heartbroken Because everything I knew, everything I was familiar with, everything I loved had just been stripped from me. And I had to start a new life, somewhere brand new, and that was scary. I remember when my my parents first told me that we were um, moving to the U.S., that this is where we were going to live, I was so mad. I was mad at my parents, and I was mad at God thinking that he had deserted me, that he was left behind like all of the other relationships, thousands of miles away. And on my first day of school, I remember walking into this A&M Consolidated Middle School. Um, I went from a class of 20 to a class of 400. And on that first day, as I walked down that hallway going to my first class, I remember just stopping and crying. I was crying because although I was surrounded by so many people hustling, trying to get to class, I stood there crying because even surrounded by that many people, I felt so alone. In that moment, I felt so alone because although I was surrounded by people, um, everything I knew had just been stripped from me. Um, But you know, as I stood there in that hallway crying, I wasn't alone. God was right there with me. Pastor Brian read this a minute ago, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139. It says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too high for me to attain. In verse 6, it says, God's knowledge of me is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This knowledge and this relationship that God offers us isn't something that we've earned. 
It isn't something that we deserve, but it was a free gift given to us by God. So that's so, so encouraging because that means that I didn't earn it. That means that God loved me out of his grace. I did nothing to deserve this. And the, and the relationship that God is offering us is so, so good. It is better than any other relationship that you can find in this world. Any relationship over your phone, any brother, any sister, any best friend, any father, any mother, they can't offer a relationship like God is offering us. There is nothing like it. It's so deep. It's so personal. And that's so, so encouraging. So as I stood in that hallway crying, thinking that I was alone, God was right there with me. He was with me in Papua New Guinea, in that hallway. He's here with me right now. So I encourage you, if you're already a Christian, continue growing in that relationship with God. He's the only one who is never going to desert you. And if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to respond to him today. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Sorry. No, wait, 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 wait. So, so um, it just blew me away when these kids uh, did everything to put this event together and invited all their friends. So I wanted to put out, uh, you know, here's some, some props for what you guys did. And a reminder, she said, uh, next Saturday night uh, across the street, they had 350 friends from all the high schools uh, in the area came, came last time. And I don't know, you guys are praying for what, like 500 to come this time? So would you join them praying for their friends to come. Um, I just, I don't know what you were doing at 17. <laughs> you were standing up in front of your friends and, and telling your story about Jesus. But the cool thing is they're, they're also having private conversations. And I hear about these constantly. This, this generation is uh, just actively reaching out to their friends. So I asked uh, Hattie if she was a little bit nervous. She goes, eh, you know, she's a little bit nerve-wracking doing this. Uh, a little bit, but <laughs> I mean. Was this harder than doing it in front of your friends? It was harder. I know that sounds so weird, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I know my friends, you know, and I understand them a bit more. But yes, yeah, okay. that just sounds crazy to me. Like I think it'd be so much harder to stand in front in front of your friends and do it. So I just want to say we're really super proud of you and our church is standing behind you guys and what you're doing. Okay. Thank you. Good job. Okay, we're going to um, uh, finish this morning by celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper together. So if I can have our servers go back. And as you're going back, as you're going back um, I want to just um, remind us of this. It, the way that we experience the power of the Spirit is when we, we say yes. Right? We, we relinquish our grip on our lives, um, even in those moments of, of fear and anxiety. And um, we say, yeah, whatever you call me to do, I will do. We pray that prayer of Jesus uh, not my will, but yours be done. And that's when we experience his courage and his comfort for us and, and real clarity about what our lives are like. So as we take communion together, I want us just to um, uh, have this moment where we, we give thanks to Jesus, right? that, that, that he died, that he was raised from the dead, right? that he actually conquered sin and death, and God accepted that sacrifice, but then that he gave us the gift of his spirit. So we, we are not alone. And we are never alone, we are never forsaken, we always have his presence. So let's just take a few moments as we're served to give God thanks for the power of his spirit and maybe take a moment to where we, we say yes to the Lord. Okay. Will the servers come forward, please?
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Then in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for giving your body broken for us, your blood poured out to forgive our sins. Thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead, for accepting his perfect sacrifice, sending the Spirit so we're not alone, we're not abandoned. So we have your presence continuously with us. I thank you for that, and I pray that we would learn to experience the power of your Spirit in new and fresh ways as we never have before because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, I pray for, uh, for your church, for your people, for those uh, who really may be feeling alone this morning, that they would experience through the power of your spirit uh, in a fresh way, your presence and your comfort, but also experience it through the body of Christ, uh, through having friends around us who, who love us and who share our purpose and our calling in life. And I pray, Father, uh, for us as a church, that we would be, become better and better at loving one another. So that the world would see that and they would be drawn and say, you know, that's what I need. I feel lonely, I feel isolated, and I need, I need a family like that who loves me unconditionally and challenges and encourages and equips me to live life well. Father, let us be that kind of family for one another and for those who are not yet in. I pray, Father, for this week that you'd uh, give us courage like you gave Hattie to, to stand up and, and give testimony to your work in our, our lives. Father, give us boldness and courage just uh, as your son boldly went to the cross that we would that we would boldly march out of these relationships and share Jesus. Father, thank you for loving us and caring for us just as we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.